Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm Kevin. And I'm Haley. We talk about stories of mystery, true crime, and folklore of the unusual, unsettling, and oftentimes unsavory goings-on of our world today, yesterday, and long ago. There's a chill in the air. Mm-hmm. We're caffeinated. Mm-hmm. We're napped. Mm-hmm. And we are ready. I took a three-hour nap today. You did. <laughs> you slept it was, so hard. It was disjointed, actually, a little bit, but mm-hmm. not the worst three-hour nap. But hey, a three-hour nap on a Sunday... On a chilly, overcast October afternoon. True. Like, it's a vibe. It's a vibe. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Amazing. Yeah. Well, my love, what you got over there that you're drinking today on this special bonus episode recording? I've got a McDonald's cup full of ice water. Oh, yeah. That's it. That's it. Yeah, I, I caffeinated late into the night. And so I was like, I probably shouldn't caffeinate more. Fair, and fair. anything else that I would drink is either loaded with sugar, which I'm trying to avoid, yeah. or loaded with caffeine, which I don't need right now. I get that. And I'm also not drinking alcohol. Yeah. But I see that you have something very fun to drink. I do. I uh, I decided to go with the old truly route because mm. I have had a lot of sugar over the last week from all the stuff in the October seasonal sugary treats that are making their way as we head into the winter season. Yeah. And it's going to be three months of straight sugar all the time. I know. <laughs> so any limitation I can put on that is good. Uh, so this is the watermelon watermelon lemonade, truly. Really? How mm-hmm. is it? It's really good. Good. It's tasty. Good. So And only three grams of sugar. Sorry, one gram of sugar. Whoa. So I know they really took it easy. <laughs> Tasty, tasty. Well, good. Okay. Mm. We've got our drinks. Those are our drinks for the night. What do you have for us for a, a, a game? A spooky fact. we've been fact. doing more spooky facts. We've got okay. a spooky season fact, which this one was fun. So according to the History Channel, it's believed that the ancient or I guess old school practice of mumming is the origin of the trick-or-treating tradition that we practice today. Oh. Mumming was a practice during the Middle Ages where people would dress up like ghosts and demons and go door to door. They would then perform songs and little skits in exchange for food and drink. (laughs) That's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, look at that. A sweet one. I do wonder if there's a little bit of uh, class, classist stuff that I'm choosing to believe that this is like, like (laughs) people supporting the arts. Yeah, that's good. Like we highly value the arts and we can't give you money, (laughs) but like here's a biscuit and some grog and (laughs) let's all have a great time. That's what I'm choosing. So You're probably right. It probably was a classist yeah. practice, and it probably is more of a bummer yeah. than I made it sound. But I'm just choosing to believe otherwise. Yes, just here, for the here, sake of the spooky fact. In this spooky fact moment, <laughs> we're gonna enjoy 
at face value what it is. You know how hard it is to not find, or I guess how hard it is to find facts that aren't just like super dystopian things Mm. that are just like repackaged. Yes. It is so hard. Yes. And there's only so many cute baby animal facts that one can find. (laughs) So I'm like, you know what? We're just going to roll with this one and hope that it wasn't classist. Yes. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> We've got to do our best sometimes. Oh, there's your spooky fact, everybody. Or your your seasonal Halloweeny fact. Yeah. Halloweeny is a great word, by the way. I it don't is. know if I don't know if, if everybody would agree with that, but I think it's an amazing word. I use it all month long. You should be using it all year long. Yeah. <laughs> all right. My dear, what do you have for us today for a story? All right. So today we're covering a legendary staple in New Jersey folklore. In the vast forest of the Pine Barrens in southern New Jersey, a legend was born in the 1700s that has stood the test of time to such an intense degree that when you ask residents of the area about this creature, the question isn't, have you seen this creature? But instead, what was your encounter with this creature like? A mysterious beast with haunting origins born from a mother's curse on her 13th child. Many believe the creature is born from the devil himself. This is the story of the Jersey devil. Hang on, Kev. This one's a doozy. Wow. I have only ever heard of this creature. I know nothing about it. Yeah. So I'm going to ask the obvious question. Is this based in the state of New Jersey? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So... That gives me a little bit of geographic context. You'll get more okay, geographic great. context. I thought about <laughs> I thought about it because I've never been there. And so I was like, what is this place like? What's our setting? All so right. that's actually how I'm kicking things off Perfect. by talking well, about the go. setting. So go. the New Jersey Pine Barrens is where the story really originates. The Pine Barrens, sometimes referred to as the Pine Lands or just the Pines, is a 1,700 square mile ecosystem that spreads across seven counties in southern and southeastern New Jersey. It's unique in many ways, especially when you consider how close it is to major cities, such as New York City and Philadelphia. And it's just this like massive area Mm -hmm. of these pitch pine trees that are super small. They're pygmy pine trees, and they stretch on and on and on. And then at the same time, it's a very short drive away from huge populations of humans. Oh, yeah. It's like this weird, pristine area that's Mm. just been there forever. The trees are also very interesting. So the soil in this area is very sandy. It's super acidic and low nutrient, which makes it pretty much unusable for agricultural purposes. Hmm. And the trees that grow there don't grow very tall. So, I mean, at least the the little pitch pines don't. And so when you look out over the Pine Barrens, you can look for like a pretty solid distance over the tops of the short trees if you're that's standing really, in the right place. That's really interesting. Yeah. I feel like... I. I've never seen a setting like that before. No, it's very unique. Despite this, however, if you do venture into the Pine Barrens, you'll be met with dozens of species that have adapted to the unique conditions and are thriving, as well as a pretty decent variety of natural scenery and biodiversity even among the plant life. There's things like Venus flytraps and orchids in there. And then there's just these like little baby trees, but it's totally unfarmable. (laughs) That's so weird. And then there's like multiple bodies of water that are like orange because they're so like uh, just rich with iron ore. But then there's also areas that that like the water is so pure and like so pristine 
that it's like it's never been touched by any level of pollution ever. It's it's such a weird mm. place. It's really cool, though. Yeah. Due to the poor soil conditions, settlers that came over from England took over the claim to the land previously made by the Swedish and the Dutch in the early 17th century. And agriculture was not an industry that was sustainable. Hmm. And so instead, they began working on more industrial endeavors. They began with shipbuilding and continued with the production of bog iron, charcoal, and other things like that. They also began producing weaponry that would be used in the War of 1812. But when the bog iron industry began to slow due to the rise of the iron ore industry, the people then turned their focus on producing things such as glass and paper. Oh, interesting. So from the beginning of the colonial era and onward, people who called the Pine Barrens home were tough, hardworking, and adaptable. But as industries in the area became less lucrative and more and more people were leaving the pines, those who would remain like behind, were not commended for their grit or commitment, but instead were looked down upon by those who had gotten out. People who lived in the Pine Barrens after the sort of exodus that had happened were referred to as pineys, which was intended to be a derogatory term. Mm, okay. It's like the equivalent of of calling someone like a redneck yeah. or something okay. like that sure. and like meaning it as an insult. Unfortunately, as time moved on, the citizens of the Pines sank deeper into poverty and destitution, resorting to nothing short of basic survivalist tactics just to survive. They did attempt to work and farm the area with little success, but really these people were just barely making it by most of the time, with many of the residents in the area living in makeshift tents, doing what they could to support themselves and their loved ones. And that's how it was in the area for a long time until road construction began to bring people back into the area. So like not directly into the pines, but more towns were being settled nearby. But it's in this place, rich with history, where the legend of the Jersey Devil begins. So there are a handful of different versions of the origin story. So I'm going to tell you the one that's the most like the most popular, and okay. it's my personal favorite. Oh, okay. Okay, so there's, there's some bias here, but it's a good bias. It's a good bias. This <laughs> one, I feel like, is the one that's most often told. Fair. And the like most accepted one as being the origin. Okay. And so I will also, I feel like I do a pretty decent job of clarifying like when I'm bringing in a variation. Okay. But I'll like give you the heads up if I'm giving you a variation. As most good, terrifying legends begin, it was a dark and stormy night. Yes, it was. (laughs) (laughs) A Quaker woman known as Mother Leeds was about to give birth. When she had found out about this pregnancy, her 13th pregnancy to be exact, she was less than thrilled. Life was difficult enough as it was. The family was already struggling to simply survive, and 12 children is a whole lot of children to begin with. Yes. Exasperated by her situation, Mother Leeds uttered a curse. I'm tired of children. Let this one be a devil. So on the night she was set to give birth in 1735, a tremendous storm stretched over all of New Jersey. I've seen different towns. I've Mm -hmm. seen Leeds Point. I've seen Burlington. I've seen Mm. different town names. Those are the two that I see the most often. But this area was being absolutely pummeled by a storm as Mother Leeds lay in bed, surrounded by a group of midwives consisting of older women from the community. The small room, lit only by candles, was full of unease bubbling into overt fear among these women who had all heard rumors that Mother Leeds, who claimed to be a Quaker, had actually been in league with the devil and had been practicing sorcery. Oh. So these ladies are just doing their their regular routine yeah. thing. Like, somebody is giving birth. We're going to attend the birth. We're going to help 
mother through the birth, help, help them get started with baby, all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. But when they heard it was mother leads, it was like, oh, yikes. Yeah. What are we going to do? It's mother leads. I'm pretty (laughs) sure she's a witch, but like, okay, let's just get this baby born. They all breathed a collective sigh of relief when at last, after an intense labor, mother leads gave birth to a beautiful, healthy baby boy. They cleaned up the baby, wrapped him up all snug and cozy, and placed him in his mother's arms. But the relief would be short-lived. The women watched in abject terror as the form of the beautiful newborn baby began to change. The baby, soft and rosy just moments before, began to writhe as his little body elongated into a serpent-like dragon form. (laughs) His previously round, chubby little baby cheeks became rough and coarse as his features morphed and stretched until his head took on the shape of a horse's head. Dark, solid hooves replaced his squishy baby feet as bat wings began to break free and protrude from his once tiny shoulders, and a forked tail grew from his back. The women froze in place as the child rose from the bed, standing now at a height and form much greater and stronger than any full-grown man they'd ever seen, their terrified silence shattered by a horrifying shriek coming from the beast. The monster then began a vicious assault of everyone in the room, including his own mother. When the beast was satisfied with his work, he gave a final piercing scream, and with a few powerful bats of his wings, he took off in flight around the room and then up the chimney, knocking stones loose as he made his escape up and out and into the dark night. In this version of the story, the creature then made its way around the area, snatching several sleeping children from their beds for his first meal. Oh my gosh. Over the course of the next several years, multiple residents reported seeing the creature for themselves with almost no relent. So stricken with fear, the townspeople brought in the bravest clergyman they could find who performed a banishing ceremony, kind of like an exorcism, which effectively banished the creature, but there was a catch. Hmm. The exorcism would only be effective for 100 years. After then, the creature would come back and carry on its dark bidding. But despite the seeming effectiveness of the exorcism, that didn't stop the townspeople from seeing the creature, nicknamed either the Leeds Devil or the Jersey Devil, from time to time over the next century. As the year 1840 rolled around, the people were racked with fear. They'd grown up hearing the story of the creature and they had heard the warnings. They knew that their time of relative peace from the monster was almost up. And exactly 100 years after the exorcism, the Jersey Devil did return, wreaking havoc and terror once again. But even when he wasn't present and when sightings were at their lowest, any misfortune that befell the people of southern New Jersey was blamed on the Jersey Devil. Mm. Crop failure, droughts, destructive storms, cows not producing milk, etc. were all blamed on the creature. There are several stories about the Jersey Devil where right before the discovery of like mutilated livestock or some Mm -hmm. other terrible disaster, witnesses reported hearing a terrible shriek nearby. So that's like a very common claim. That'd be really creepy too. It is. (laughs) Often it's believed that from the night that it had escaped through the chimney, that the Jersey Devil has called the Pine Barrens its home, ripping limb from limb anyone or anything who ventures into its domain and happens to be unlucky enough to run into it. (laughs) As I mentioned at the beginning of the story, there are several versions of the origins. Most of them are pretty detailed, giving similar descriptions of its twisted birth with different towns, different women being the vessel, different scandals, and all of that sort of stuff. The physical description also varies depending on who you're talking to. Where one person might describe it as two feet tall, someone else might describe it as 20 feet tall. 
Hmm. where one person describes it as having the head of a horse, others compare it to a goat instead. Some would describe its body as kangaroo-like, while others would compare it to something more reptilian, like a serpent or a dragon. Which, little fun fact that I learned while I was reading about this, is that there's a Native American tribe who was local to the area long before the settlers came over, the Lenape people. Uh, so they referred to the Pine Barrens as the Papwessing or the place of the dragon. Oh, weird. Mm-hmm. Huh. They also had a term, and I think I get into this, I'm not going to spoil it, but they lived in the area for thousands and thousands of years before they were pushed out by the colonists, but not before they warned the people of the dragon that lived in the forest. Mm. It's said that the Lenape were able to coexist with the creature, and while it wasn't violent, it was something to be respected and to be taken seriously. Over the years, many people have speculated if the Lenape had been right all along that some dragon-like creature truly was alive and well, using the isolation and dense pines as its nesting grounds, coming out only to feast on the livestock that were numerous in the many rural communities that would pop up in and around the forest over the centuries. That's so weird and, like, fascinating. It is. It's super fascinating because, in my mind, it's like, okay, so did people, and we'll talk more about this towards the end, too, but did people just make up this story to like make sense of this weird creature they were seeing. And so like, mm. let's just have an origin story for it. Here it is. Is this yeah. one of many? Like yeah. all of those kinds of questions immediately come to your mind. Well, and it, it, it brings me to like the thought of how many different cultures share so many different kinds of creatures, mm-hmm. um, like dragons, mermaids, those kinds of things Yeah, that there's, these are, these are cultures that, never interacted before. Right. And yet they have similar kinds of stories. And that's just really interesting to me to think about. When I think of a dragon, I typically think medieval. Right. But this would predate that by a A long shot. A long shot, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The estimation is that the Lenape people were there for like 10,000 years before the colonists even came over. Wow. They were there for a long, long time. So very interesting. Mm. All in all, I do think it's fair to say that the Jersey Devil's description has enough consistency that we can build a little profile of it. It's a bipedal creature standing somewhere between four and seven feet in height. Its legs bear cloven hooves and its small arms are adorned with claws at the end. Some of them compare Mm. them to lion-like. Others would say they're more like bird talons. Its long body also has two strong wings and its horse-like head with a long face holds two strong horns or antlers. It has glowing eyes that are sometimes red or sometimes golden, and it makes a terrifying shriek or call of some kind. Mm. Since the mid-1700s, there have been reports from locals that the creature has been spotted. While it never has seemed to actually attack any humans, it has also never shied away from a good meal comprised mostly of livestock and sadly, even some pets belonging to the residents. Oh, sad. Yes. So there are so, so, so many sightings of this thing. I mean, there are, people have tried to collect all of Mm. the Jersey Devil sightings and there's like Jersey, I think they call it the Horror of the Pine Barrens. There's like a collection that I was looking through and there's like three three volumes maybe. Oh wow! And it's like all Jersey Devil sightings. Oh my <laughs> so gosh, a lot. <laughs> there's there's so many. So I'm just gonna go through a few of the sightings that are considered to be some of the most reliable. In 1819, Commodore Stephen Decatur was visiting the Hanover Millworks, investigating the progress in the production of cannonballs. 
While he was there, he saw a terrifying winged creature that resembled other sightings of the Jersey Devil. He and other men that had accompanied him had fired a cannonball at the beast, striking it right in its middle, but this did nothing to stop it in its flight. It simply carried on. Mm. Interestingly, in 2007, during restoration work being done on Decatur's Washington, D.C. home, papers were found that indicated that he was in New Jersey in 1819, and various stories have been gathered throughout the area, extending into Pennsylvania, stating that he actually had spent a stretch of time attempting to hunt the creature down in order to identify it, and that he had a well-known paranormal encrypted researcher by the name of Dr. James Killian with him during his search. Whoa, This is like a revered figure. Yeah. In the 1820s, Joseph Bonaparte, brother of Napoleon, was hunting at his Bordentown Lodge, and he saw something that matched the description of the Jersey Devil that he also wrote about in his journals. He wrote that he had fired at the creature and struck it, but it seemed to have no effect on it at all. Over the next several decades, there were more sightings from people all over the entire state, with those sightings even going beyond New Jersey and into other states across the region and all around the Delaware Valley. A lot of these attacks were against livestock, like accompanied by that awful shrieking sound, but there was one that was witnessed by a group of children, terrifying them in their own home. Oh, man. These sightings were mostly written off by the general population as piney superstition, but it wouldn't be long before more and more people became witnesses and believers. Oh, my gosh. Eventually, (laughs) (laughs) I know it's wild. It's so crazy. It is so weird. So eventually the sightings stopped being only word of mouth and made their way into print sometime in the 1890s. And then sightings would continue into the 20th century, which leads us to one of the most fascinating string of sightings in the history of the Jersey Devil, which happened in 1909, where the creature appeared to hundreds, if not thousands of residents around the Delaware Valley, a week that has since been called Phenomenal Week. Hmm. Which is Phenomenal Week? Phenomenal Week. Phenomenal Week. I did say Phenomena, but it's Phenomenal Week. Hmm. (laughs) Beginning in the late hours of Saturday, January 16th, 1909, residents of Woodbury, New Jersey and Bristol, Pennsylvania saw the Jersey Devil. A fella named Thack Cousins was leaving the Woodbury Hotel when the quiet night was broken by a loud hissing noise as something flew at a startling speed across the street. Cousins watched as a cloud-like mist seemed to follow the creature and as its eyes seemed to glow as it moved. At around 2 a.m. on Sunday, January 17th, three different people saw the devil in Bristol as it moved around in the backyard of a man named John McGowans. Hmm. John had woken up to his baby daughter crying and went to go comfort her. As he did, he heard noises coming from outside, comparing the noises to the sound of a that like a phonograph makes before the music begins, followed by a strange whistling shriek like a factory whistle. Hmm. Okay. That little record scratch, not quite scratch, but kind of Uh scratchy. Followed by like a factory whistle Mm -hmm. noise. Yeah. Ooh. He looked out of the window and saw the beast sitting on the banks of the canal that ran behind his home. Whatever it was, it was huge. It had wings and it was hopping around as it moved along. Not long after that, a police patrolman named James Sackville had his normal rounds interrupted when all of the neighborhood dogs suddenly started freaking out and barking all at the same time. Mm. As he paced along the street trying to find the source of the disturbance, Sackville, who would go on to become chief of police, turned around and he too saw the Jersey Devil. He described it the same as the others, a great winged creature like nothing he'd ever seen before or since. 
He actually decided to chase after it when it attempted to get away from him, but he stopped in his tracks when it took flight, emitting a horrible scream as it shot up into the sky and out of sight. So it sounds like it was running. It was on its, Mm -hmm. it was on its back Mm -hmm. feet. And so he was chasing it on foot and then it suddenly took off into the sky. Which would be so weird. That would be, yeah, horrifying. Well, then you're like, oh, I'm, I am now running away. That's, that's (laughs) my reaction to that is, oh, this is, I'm no longer the, the, uh, the, the chaser in this scenario. Mm -hmm. I am, I'm going to be a victim if I don't get out of here. I need to hide under something immediately. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A neighbor to the McOwens also heard and saw the devil and without knowing it, gave an identical description of the creature when he made his report. In every area where the devil was reportedly seen on the 16th and 17th, residents also reported finding bizarre footprints all around the immediate vicinity where the creature had been. Very weird footprints. And the 18th of January was also filled with more reports of frightening otherworldly screams, sightings of a strange creature, and very non-human footprints found in towns across the whole region. Which, a little note about the tracks. They were literally everywhere. They were in yards across full blocks on the roofs of homes, appearing to walk directly up the sides of trees, etc. Ooh, that's, they were all over the place. It's like horror movie. It is stuff. Yeah. Like what, what can do that? Also, if you have wings, what are you trying to do by climbing up the side of a tree? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's like really eerie to me. On the 19th, starting as early as 2.30 in the morning in Gloucester, more reports of the creature came in with various physical descriptions. Report after report after report kept coming in, and people across the whole region were beginning to panic. Mm. So much so that multiple posses were formed in many of the towns with men, weapons in hand, ready to track the beast down. Which, I mean, why not? We've got Mothman, <laughs> that's the case. Van Meter yeah. Visitor. Yeah. Anytime there's a critter, the men are like, Grab let's your get it. Yeah, yeah. pitchforks and yeah. torches and guns and let's go get this thing, you know. I felt like that just, it felt like a necessary yes, bit yes, in yes. the story. <laughs> so one group actually did manage to track the creature for upwards of 20 miles before it flew off. And Jeez. the hunt itself was as unsettling as all of the other reports. The creature would hop fences, fly for short distances, it would run, duck and crawl underneath fence lines and through impossibly small gaps. Uh, there were also claims that it would change shape and size as it ran. Ooh, that would, so it would kind suddenly of be very the... small and then it would be very huge. And then yeah. it would be small again. And then it would get really long. It would go under like two, three inch gaps under fences and then it would pop up and be huge again. Oh it's God. very cartoony in that way. Yeah. But like yeah. what, what references would they have had right. for something like this? So bizarre. Well, it kind of explains why there's so many descriptions of it like It could be an explanation. Variation. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's what I'm saying. It was more of the same on the 20th. And then on the 21st, the Jersey devil was seen getting struck by a train and flying off seemingly unaffected. Hmm. Others claimed to have shot the creature and actually managed to land their shots. But once again, the devil was utterly unaffected. Wow. Countless farms, especially chicken farmers, uh, reported that a majority of their animals had been slaughtered by the creature as it continued on its rampage. Tons and tons of animals dying. Yeah. By the 22nd, the entire area was so fully gripped by fear that businesses and schools were shut down. People remained locked in their homes, petrified with fear even in the daytime, worried that they would be the ones to come across the creature next. And that even though it hadn't attacked any humans at this point, 
what if it attacks me or my children right. or my pets? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. But by the 23rd, sightings pretty much came to a screeching halt, with the last known reports beginning where they started near the Pine Barrens. Mm. Yes, people think. Yeah, yeah. It, that's it went back that's, to its home yeah. base. Oh my God. Since 1909, sightings of the creature have continued. And in the last 20 years alone, there have been over 200 reported sightings. Oh my gosh. Which is a lot. People in will the last see the creature. 20 years? Yeah. Over 200. That, that, that I could find. So that was the stat that I found. There's there basically could be more. one sighting per month. I'm not even going to try and math that. That's, that's basically what, if it's over 200, then it's just, just sure. right under that or right around that. That's just like a crazy amount of sightings that are reported. Right. Because you assume that there's at least a handful that are never reported. People just see it and go, oh, wow, that was crazy. And they move on with their day. Right. So that's, that's, wow, that's insane. It is. People will see the creature when they're out for a drive, walking their dog, sitting at their dining room table, etc. Anywhere and everywhere, all across the region, people can see it. One of the most famous sightings of the last few decades took place in March of 2017 when an eyewitness known only as RW posted a video on YouTube containing a pretty unbelievable picture of what he believes to be the Jersey Devil. RW claims that he and his friends saw what they at first believed to be a huge vulture, but as they watched it moving around, they noticed that it had very goat-like features. So they snapped this photo and it's been shared around the internet ever since. It's been met with plenty of healthy skepticism, as well as many others believing that this is the first concrete proof that we have of the Jersey Devil's existence. Wow. So there's there's a lot of back and forth on that. Sure. But that's that's recent enough that if it if it's a if it's fake, everyone can like say, oh yeah, no, this is faked. Like, mm-hmm. It's pretty clear when something is fake. Well, it's days. like the lighting's not great. Mm-hmm. I guess it was on a golf course. Sure. And it was like dusk. Yeah. Or I guess it could have been early morning. It looks like dusk to me. Um, but yeah, it looks a little bit like a pony shaped pinata to me hmm. a little bit. Okay. I'll share it on the Instagram yeah, so I'm everybody curious. can see it. But a lot of people are like, if you look at this and that element, then it's blah, blah, blah. So there are all kinds of arguments that people have made on both sides. I'm more skeptical of it. But that's just because I'm skeptical of everything. Sure. And I don't want to ever like. <laughs> yeah. And I don't ever want to like diminish people's experiences if they're like sharing something genuine. Yeah. But it's just hard to know if people are being genuine with things like this yeah. sometimes, you know. Hmm. But anyway, with all of that in mind, we have to ask ourselves a few questions. What have people been seeing for the last 280 plus years? Is there some unknown monster that has taken up residence in the Pine Barrens? And if so, what is it? As all stories like this one go, we don't have solid answers, but we do have lots of theories. And so let's get into those before we wrap up. We love theories on this podcast. We love a theory. One of the most popular theories is that this creature is a cryptid, a species that is believed to exist, but that we don't have proof of at this point. Mm -hmm. All throughout human history, sightings of previously unidentified creatures have 
terrified people all across the world, and then those creatures would eventually be identified. One of my favorites of these is the Kraken. Sailors have long reported sightings of a sea monster that was impossibly large, with long tentacles, giant orbs for eyes, with the capability of smashing even the most sturdy ships into smithereens. Mm. And it wasn't until the 19th century that the giant squid was officially discovered. And then it would be until 2006 before we would have any video footage of it. No way. Yeah. (laughs) That's, wow. That's wild. That's legit. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was discovered like remains had washed up. I can't mm-hmm. remember where, but a biologist had looked over the remains that had washed up onto a shore in like, I believe either the 1850s or 70s. Mm-hmm. And then more would wash up over the next like hundred or so years that would confirm that this is like an actual species. This what? isn't something that the sailors are like hallucinating or making up. And that's a kraken. And that's the kraken. That's totally what they wow. were seeing. That's absolutely what they were seeing. Is a giant squid. There were also stories of a giant man-like hairy beast stalking the mountains and forests of Africa. And in 1902, the mountain gorilla was discovered, proving that there was absolutely validity to the eyewitness accounts that had been made for years and years and years. What? You know, it's just, those are crazy. Yeah. So is it impossible that this creature or perhaps group of creatures belongs to an undiscovered species? Many people believe that it could be possible. Given the fact that most of the story centers around the Pine Barrens and that even before the legend of the Jersey Devil began to spread in the 1730s, the Lenape people and various others who had attempted to settle the pines have reported seeing a creature that nobody can identify. The Pine Barrens are so dense and the ecology and geography is so unique and diverse that it doesn't seem totally impossible that the Jersey Devil is just an undiscovered species that is very good at keeping itself hidden in the pines. Mm, Yeah. Others have wondered if maybe the Jersey Devil is just an ancient species that somehow managed to evade extinction for millions of years, but until we can find solid proof of that, it can't really be anything more than a theory. A lot of people are like, maybe it's a weird type of pterodactyl. Maybe that would explain its call. But like, most of the things mm-hmm. that you see about it, if it has a long face, it doesn't talk much about it being a beak. It talks about it being very horse-like. Sure. So yeah, that's hard to... Either way. But also, like, I've never <laughs> seen a pterodactyl to compare it to. <laughs> right. You know, so it's like, <laughs> don't ask me. I'm, I'm not a paleontologist. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so there's also the theory that what if the Jersey Devil is a supernatural being? Considering certain elements of the sightings, such as the creature being able to walk up the sides of trees, change its shape to fit through small cracks or under fences, the fact that it has allegedly been hit by cannonballs, trains, and gunfire, and it seemed to be totally unfazed, reports of the creature being seen changing sizes mid-run or mid-flight, and even inconsistencies in appearance. Hmm. So what if this creature has a supernatural element to it that allows it to exist outside of the natural order of things found in our realm of existence. Ooh, now, obviously, yeah. obviously, this one is pretty much impossible to prove and difficult to even know how one would go about demonstrating that there's even a possibility mm-hmm. that that could happen. But others are very open to this as a potential explanation for the Jersey Devil because there's just so much about existence and about the universe right. that we just don't know. Yeah. So I'm like, that's fair. That's, I feel like that's a, and that's really fun too. That one is really fun. The people that have spent years and years and years studying cryptozoology and specifically the more supernatural 
mm-hmm. areas of, of cryptozoology would be able to defend that. And I, I don't want to try because I'm mm-hmm. not going to sound like they do, but there are so many amazing, amazing cryptozoologists who have written books, who do interviews on podcasts and documentaries and stuff yeah. that I'm like, go watch all of them because they make such interesting cases Yeah, using things that we can compare to like certain theories of physics and, and things like that. It's just super fascinating. Yeah. Well, and it's, it reminds me, I know I referenced this episode a lot, um, like our third episode about Skinwalker Ranch, where we talked about all these creatures that started popping up mm-hmm. as if they are tied together to this place or this, you know, right. whatever's going on. The right. supernatural element of that, I don't think is out of the question at all. Well, and UFO opinion. sightings being connected to Bigfoot sightings uh-huh. around the exact same time. Right. And how many times that that has happened is so fascinating. Right. It's yeah. really weird and interesting. It is. And then there's even more things that people can tie together too. And yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's also, I didn't write this down, but there are people who wonder if it's a spiritual being. Some people are like, maybe it actually was the spawn of Satan. Yeah. (laughs) Come to like do bad deeds. Didn't kill a single person, which makes me a little skeptical of that. (laughs) Obviously for more than one reason. That's like the main thing that makes me skeptical of that. (laughs) Not the only thing. Um, but that it's some kind of angel, some kind of demon, yeah. some kind of spiritual creature yeah. that actually has been classified sort of, <laughs> at least in mythology, like various mythologies. So those are fun. But once again, yeah, like those are just kind of fun. It reminds me of, and I won't give it any spoilers, but it reminds me of that, uh, that Netflix show, the, the Mike Flanagan one that, uh, with the priest. Oh, the, oh, yeah. oh, oh yeah. That one's so good. What is it called? Uh, I, can't I literally called. just decided I was going to rewatch it and I can't remember what it's called. Yeah. That one's so good. It's very good. Midnight Mass. Midnight Mass. That is a great show. Yes. I feel like that explores a lot of that Mm -hmm. in a really fun way. So if you like those kinds of shows that are a little spooky and, you know, explore a little bit of that stuff, like go watch it because it is really good. Yeah, it is. That one's super fun. So there are theories that all of the sightings come down to a misidentification. The idea here is simple, and I know that plenty of our listeners will hate this, but could people have been seeing something already known to exist, or at least known to us today, but had imagined or made up details in their fear? We're talking residents of multiple states that were in an all-out panic that there was a monster on the loose. So if there was a group of cranes that happened to have been migrating during Phenomenal Week, maybe people were just seeing those and then were imagining the other more grotesque features because they were terrified. Sure. There's also cases that people have made about certain bats, certain owls. Mm -hmm. You know, the main hole in this theory for me, though, and for many people, is the fact that nobody reported seeing a beak or any bird-like features Mm -hmm. apart from the wings or talons for hands in some cases. Right. Even in an intense moment of fear, I think that most people would be able to identify if something is a bird or not a bird, you know? Once again— Maybe it startles you at first, and you're like, oh, it's just a bat, or whatever, you know? To reference another episode, we had uh, our Mothman episode with Krista. Yeah, I'm about to get into a rant about the Sandhill Cranes, and I actually— All right, I'll let you do it. You do it. (laughs) So this one is still popular because the descriptions of the Jersey Devil are pretty consistent when it comes to the height of Sandhill Cranes. Mm Mm-hmm. Sandhill cranes also make a shrieking sort of call. And so there are elements of this explanation that do make sense. 
if you listen to our Mothman episode, you know how we feel about this theory just kind of as a general rule. And like you can also probably hear Krista groaning somewhere off in the distance. Yes, because I hear it. She hear hates. It. There it is. We all hate <laughs> the Sandhill Crane theory so much. <laughs> if you haven't listened to episode 24, our Mothman one, go listen to it. I think it's still my favorite. That's a good we one. We need to get yeah. Krista back. We do. So others have wondered if perhaps this whole thing is a hoax that has been fueled by the power of the unique hold that local folklore can have on its community. I feel like it would be almost as hard to prove that, like that it's an outright hoax at this point, Mm -hmm. as it would be to prove any of the other theories. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Along those same lines, there have been several attempts that people have made to prove that they were the ones to capture the beast and all of those ventures have since been proven as hoaxes. But overall, from the original sightings and onward, there's been no credible proof that the like the thing as a whole is a hoax. Right. That the creature itself is made up and all of these reports are made up, et cetera. It's, it's shrouded in a lot of mystery, mm-hmm. for sure. I can remember, and once again, this isn't an episode about Bigfoot or the other cryptids, but I feel like we've talked about the other ones that this is a worthwhile like little, little tangent. Sure. I remember being in like the fourth grade. And you know, do you remember that little magazine that we'd get as kids in public school that was like, uh, oh, what was it called? Zubux. Maybe, maybe it was Zubux, maybe it was something else, but it was basically like, it was more than just pictures of animals and like that, but it was, had like articles of things. Mm -hmm. And there was one guy who basically confessed, quote unquote, to making Bigfoot tracks. And everyone sure. was like, see, Bigfoot's just fake. One guy One made guy fake made tracks, it. so all of it's fake. Right. Right. And it, it it never really like like got like that was the traction it got, was just that. Right. Trying to convince a bunch of nine year olds <laughs> <laughs> that Bigfoot's not real. And then it was like, but Conspiracy. wait, he only lived in Seattle and he <laughs> he could have only made so many tracks. At one point, and it was a very like, like weak attempt at like like disproving the existence yeah. of Bigfoot as a whole. Yeah, yeah, it was a really weird, weak attempt, and I was like, okay, that doesn't do anything for us. <laughs> one guy made a hoax. Yeah, and I feel like in the same way, people want to jump to this is a hoax, and here's why, and the argument's just kind of weak. Mm-hmm. Like it's not any stronger than being like it really could be a supernatural being like well, that's not any stronger than that case. Right, so right. it's, you don't have any more proof that it's a hoax as a whole than somebody else has of whatever their experience was. Right. You know what I mean? Like you're just unwilling to suspend disbelief even right. just to consider like, okay, well what would we need to do in order to prove it? Like there's, right. there's a degree of saying like, yeah, what if I Mm -hmm. doubt it, but what if, what would we have to do? And then to go down that logical road and say, yeah, I I actually can't. That's why I have so much dishonest. It it really is. Well, that's why I have so much respect for a lot of people that have spent a lot of time on cryptozoology Mm -hmm. and people who are just enthusiasts of cryptozoology that have spent time like all over the world looking for a specific cryptid. Yeah. Like people who go on like, I don't, I don't want to say Bigfoot hunts because they're not trying to shoot it. Right. But like They're looking around for Bigfoot. Yeah, yeah. They're looking around for Nessie, all that kind of stuff. And they're using equipment and they're mm-hmm. using tracking methods, et cetera. Like, go do it. Maybe right. you'll be the one. Maybe right. you'll be the one to prove the whole thing. Right. Is, is Why not? A, an observable 
creature, you know? Right. Especially so. considering what you just shared a few minutes ago about mm-hmm. the creatures that have been found only in the last, uh, honestly, couple of decades. But then a couple, a couple, hun- couple hundreds of years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, totally. And I think that we're really prideful to think that we know all there is to know and that we've discovered mm-hmm. all there is to discover. I mean, I made this point before too. Look at how many species of fish they find all the time. Brand right. new. New right. species of frogs. All the time. Right. All the time. And so I'm like, it's not that wild to me that yeah. something could be great at camouflaging. Mm-hmm. Something large could have figured out a way to, I mean, even if it's a, a small population, in order to protect themselves, yeah. they've learned how to live in cave systems. Mm-hmm. They, you know, there's so many different possibilities that I'm like, right. aren't these aren't these at least worth looking into more seriously? Right. And so I always love it when people do. Yes. So, Anyway, that, that was a tangent, but that was a, a fun tangent. one, I feel like. So there's also the idea that due to Pineys being considered as lesser members of society for so long, some wonder if the story of the Jersey Devil was invented to drive a deeper wedge between the Pineys and everyone else. Hmm. Like maybe if we start to fabricate reports of monsters coming from the Pines, that will further encourage our children to stay away from the Pineys yeah. and anyone who calls the Pines home. Yeah, don't be friends with those people. We see how that turns out well. Yeah, that's like the worst idea. (laughs) It starts there. As much as I hate this theory, over time, Pineys have sort of reclaimed the term, transforming it from a derogatory insult into a term of pride in where they and their ancestors come from. Yeah. Which I'm actually really happy that that's the case. It's, I feel like I compared it well when I compared it to redneck. Mm -hmm. We're like, that term can absolutely be used as an insult. Right. Um. But people who are rednecks are like, I'm a redneck. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm a redneck. You know what I mean? So anyway, I thought that that, that was like a little moment of redemption. Yeah. A little bit. That's fair. Yeah. So the main idea here is that it was the townspeople from areas surrounding the Pine Barrens that initially made up the story. And it stuck so hard that sightings of totally normal creatures that were native to the area, such as bears, bats, huge cranes, etc., only added fuel to the fire and to the credibility of the story. Mm-hmm. So that's one theory. But I think that actually might be all the theories that I have. But is there any truth to the origin of the beast at all? Interestingly, yes. In 1735, there was a Leeds family living near Leeds Point, a Jafet and Deborah Leeds. They did, in fact, have 12 children. Hmm. People have wondered that due to something like a birth defect or something of that nature, since babies born with different or special needs were generally considered to be a sign of sin or a bad omen of some Mm -hmm, kind, mm -hmm. that maybe they did have a 13th child who the family kept hidden from the public. And then like Mm. rumors kind of swirled from there. But with no record of a 13th Leeds child, we can't be sure. But either way, why would such a nasty rumor begin and spread in the first place? I feel like especially at that time and place in history, you'd have to really hate someone in order to start such a terrible rumor. And there might actually be an explanation for that as well. Hmm. It turns out there were multiple Leeds families in and near the Pine Barrens, and that one of them in particular, a Daniel Leeds, was not well-liked, to put it lightly. Hmm. He and his family were all Quakers, but when Daniel Leeds published an almanac in 1687 called the Leeds Almanac, it was the first one ever published in the state of New Jersey. Wow. So given the large Quaker population, the Leeds Almanac was not well received due to various references that leaned too heavily into pagan ideas for their taste. 
They hated it so much that they wanted the almanac to be destroyed and never distributed again. In response, Daniel went ahead and published another almanac and a book with more thoughts and ideas that were not Quaker, such as referring to the month of March as a reference to the Roman god of war instead of referring to it by its cardinal number and things like that. Wow. So he was like a rebel of his time. Yes, he was. He was stirring the pot a bit. He was. (laughs) Daniel Leeds and his family were written off and declared as Satan's harbingers, and so they were excommunicated by their community. Now, there's a lot more to this story that I could get into, but for the sake of time, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. Okay. But before I do, if you do want a little bit more of a deep dive into this part of the story, I shared an awesome like historical write-up of Daniel Leeds in our sources that you can find in our show notes. And so if you just follow that sources link, it's the final link Mm. at the bottom. Cool. So it's super fascinating. Like Ben Franklin's in there, like whole lot of drama. Oh, wow. Between Daniel Leeds and uh, or the Leeds family and Ben Franklin, just casually. Really? So, that's, yeah, that it's a very interesting, interesting. Yeah. And it's like, a, I think it's called Hoosier Kin. Mm-hmm. And it's like a longtime descendant of the Leeds family had done this really cool write up of what hmm. they had learned when they went looking for their family history. Super fascinating if you're into that kind of thing. So, regardless of what you believe to be true about this story, whether you think there's some truth to it, whether you believe it with your whole heart or whether you think that it's a complete hoax or a result of paranoid townspeople, the Jersey Devil has remained an integral part of folklore across the Delaware Valley and especially around the Pine Barrens. Not only has it managed to maintain a life of its own for almost 300 years, but the Jersey Devil has cemented itself as a key figure in North American cryptozoology and in the hearts of the residents of the area, young and old, and I think that that's a pretty impressive feat. And that is what I have for you today. Wow. That is a wild, wild legend. Yeah. I love to believe that the Jersey Devil is either an unknown species or a supernatural thing. Mm -hmm. And it was just out and about, just out and about looking for some food and then realized it flew too far into the heart of whatever these weird creatures are that are throwing things at me. (laughs) And so it just tried to be sneaky, but couldn't quite sneak away. Yeah. Yeah. And couldn't resist itself a little bit. Like, it's just kind of like sashaying yeah. through I'm, the Delaware I'm Valley a little hungry. bit. Uh, yeah. Eating some chickens on the way. Yeah. Rum a little chicken snack. And then it just is like, I'm just going to go and hide for a while until, like, <laughs> all these people chill out. Yeah. Like, I like to believe that. It, it, in my mind, from what you've just shared, and obviously I've had zero time to process, <laughs> but from what you just shared, it really makes me think about the the Native American people who have described a dragon. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that sounds to me like something... Like, I'm not, I'm going to come on the podcast right now and say, I'm not convinced that dragons are real, full stop. But I'm also not convinced that they never existed in any culture ever. Mm -hmm. Like, were they as pervasive as princes going and slaying dragons to save princesses? Probably not. But were they pervasive enough for that legend to have some legs? Right. Maybe. Like, I'm curious about that. Some level of conflict between people and a creature. Well, I mean, the Komodo dragon, I I didn't look at the year, but that was on the list of like pretty recently discovered species that were believed to not be real. Yeah. That's crazy to think about. That That's like. And the Okapi and the Jack, like so many different things. Yes. It's that, that arrogance of saying, well, we've we've learned everything. What else could there possibly be to know? And it's like, well. (laughs) A whole lot. 
could be the uh, Jersey Devil is one that we could still learn a lot about. Mm-hmm. So, well, it's something like I didn't write this percentage down because I don't know how, like, how you would get this percentage. Mm-hmm. But a lot of biologists agree that we've discovered probably somewhere around fifteen to twenty percent wow. of all potential species. Oh, that's crazy. I didn't read more into it. And I honestly just didn't have time to read more into it. But I feel like I should because I wonder, how would you get that percentage if you don't know what the other 85% of what's out there is, you (laughs) know, but like they have their methods, Yeah, (laughs) you know, but I thought that that's really interesting. Yeah, The people that are out there making these discoveries are saying, y'all, we haven't even hardly scratched the surface. Barely touched it. Wow. So. Well, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the unusual, unsettling and unsavory story today. If you haven't already, please make sure you're subscribed to us on your favorite listening platform and that you leave a glowing five-star review. Those reviews help other people find this podcast. Also follow us on social media. We're on Instagram and TikTok at This One Is A Doozy and on Facebook, This One's A Doozy Podcast. And you can connect to us even more directly over on Patreon. My love, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about Patreon? Yes. So you can follow the link in our Instagram bio or in our Facebook about section or you can go to patreon.com slash doozypod, and for $5 a month, you can support our show. Supporters on Patreon get access to all of our content ad-free, along with two monthly exclusive episodes that are only available on Patreon. Plus, we're doing for spooky season a little bonus mm-hmm. bonus for the patrons. We've got Fiction Fridays. That's right. Kevin tells a very spooky story every Friday. The spookiest. I mean, only the spookiest. Some but of them yeah. are like Lovecraft. I know, I know. Really spooky ones like that, which are, are my favorites to read. Yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, with that, everybody, we will see you later this week for another doozy. Thank you. Bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.